0: Radiate Church. I'm so glad to finally be here. You guys are amazing. Don't be seated just yet. I want you to know you have the greatest pastor on the planet. Pastor Brandon is my brother and I am better for it. And so I am so thankful for the great leader you have. So I honor him and Megan today, and I am so honored to be with you. As we dive in, let's have a little partnership. You pray for me, and I'm gonna pray for you. And let's have an incredible incredible experience at God's word today, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to dive into your word, and I pray that your word would be a lamp into our feet, a light into our path, and I pray for revelation of your Holy Spirit right now. God, would you teach us and speak to us through your word, and I pray like never before that it would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Before you're seated, I pastor North Park Church in Raleigh, and we say we're the home of 17 high fives. And so it'll make me feel at home if you'll step out of your feet. Your feet. Don't step out of your feet. Step out of your seat. And find 17 people, and I want you to give them a high five, and I want you to say, you matter to God, and you matter to me. Would you do that? Don't short yourself, 17. And if you're watching online, I want you to know you mean the world to us, and we are so glad that you've joined us online today, and we're praying for you too, so thank you for being here. You're just as big a part as those that are in the room, so thank you for joining us today. Um, I want you to know that um, I have something that we've got to talk about before we even start, okay? Uh, Before we even dive into God's Word, we got something to deal with. Because as soon as I came into town yesterday, I was really hungry and I wanted something good. Um, I'm a big Bojangles fan, uh, but I didn't want Bojangles. I didn't want a fast food. I didn't want Chick-fil-A, although that's Christian chicken. Like, I, I wanted something good. I wanted to sit down at a table and have a good meal And I found it, y'all. When I drove into town, like this sign, just like it was angelic. There was a heavenly choir that sang. And then I walked in and I sat down at an altar or the bar. And as I sat there, this woman just kept bringing me food. And it was so good. I've never heard of this place before. Apparently, you have them all over the place here, but you're not sharing it with the rest of the world. And I don't understand why. Lizard's Thicket. Is that a thing? Like, oh, my good Lord. Like, this was the best place ever. And so this message is brought to you by Lizard's Thicket. I wish it were. If I had a sponsor, I feel like that's what I'd want it to be, uh, is Lizard's Thicket. But now the rest of the time, you're just going to be thinking, honey, we should go to Lizard's Thicket for lunch. And you should. And you should have... Uh, The squash casserole, because it was my favorite. So a few years ago, my family and I decided uh, to go to the Great Smoky Mountains, and we went on a hike. Now, let me say, we are not the most outdoorsy people, and so hiking on a vacation is not something that we would typically do, unless it's hiking through Disney World, which we're huge Disney fans. And so all of our vacations you know, surround the mouse. Uh, so we ended up in the mountains, and we decided we're gonna do a hike, because that's what you do. And I saw this sign, and I thought, okay, there's a waterfall. Um, four miles round trip. All right, that's a lot, but maybe it's not too bad. You know, I do the three or four mile thing on a regular basis, but I'm from Raleigh and it's flat. Okay, and this was up a hill with rocks and things, and so um, I don't exactly know what we had in mind, but but there we go. We set out for this journey. Now I learned that there are two very different people in the world on that hike, and I'm going to call the first group. Um, let's just call them joy killers because that's what they did because they're coming down they're descending off the mountain while you're going up and you're already like tired and, and like god oh, this is a bad idea you know, I got like a hundred yards in I'm like this is the worst decision ever you know what I mean but I'm trying to be positive about it and so these people the joy killers are coming off the mountain and and they start saying things like oh it's so far like it's a long way you're just getting started like "Whoa, it's so hot I don't even know why you're doing this like it's we didn't even make get to the waterfall we quit halfway it's just so far and the whole time that happens like you just you're, you're just like zapped of energy. It's like wow these people are horrible human beings and then there's this other group of people let's call them life givers because that's what they did as they're coming down they're like oh you're doing great you're amazing this is wonderful it's so worth it it's such a beautiful waterfall you can do this and I'm like that's that's awesome And so we finally make it to the top, we do the thing, we have our little picnic, we do the waterfall thing, we take our pictures, and then we start down. But before we started down, I I pulled the family together and I'm like, guys, we have a decision to make. When we're going down, do we wanna be like those joy killers, do you know what I mean? Like, do we wanna just devastate them as they're coming up? Or do we want to speak life to them? And so we made a decision as a family that every person that we encounter, we're just going to speak life to. So we're coming down and we're like, you're doing great. You're almost there. Like the trailhead signs right there. Like you're almost there. It's so good. It's so worth it. Like you're amazing. We're just cheering people on. It was great. But then I decided let's see what it feels like to be the joy killer. Let's just try it. Like, let's just see if that is a thing, like if that's something that I would enjoy. And so sure enough, I picked out this family and they're coming, they're coming up and I just looked at them and I was like, I don't even know why y'all are here. Y'all should just give up. Like it's not worth it. Like it's, the water's not even falling. It's not even fun. Like just don't even, you're not even gonna make it. You're out of shape. You're not gonna make it. Like you're just, no, I didn't say that. I should have though, that'd been awesome. Um, and, and I watched the difference. Like if we spoke life to people, you could see them rise, right? You could see their shoulders come back. They smile. But you did the opposite. You could just see it. It was just horrible. And, and the bad thing was when I would encourage somebody, I felt encouraged. When those words came out of my mouth, I'm like, man, this is great. This feels good to even do that. But when the words came out of my mouth that were discouraging, I didn't even like the taste in my mouth. Do you know what I'm saying? And so you have a decision every single day to be either a joy killer or be a life giver. Every single day. Like you have the opportunity to speak life to people or you have the opportunity to discourage them with the encounters that you have with them. You get to decide every single day. Are you gonna be a joy killer or are you gonna be a life giver? See, I'm convinced, all right, that you are full of something. You're full of something. Look at your neighbor and say, you're full of something. Not your wife, guys, what are you doing? don't do that. You're full of something. The question is, what are you full of? Because every encounter that you have, you're spilling that into somebody's life. So if you're full of joy, you're going to spill joy. If you're full of happiness, you're going to spill that. If you're full of cynicism, doubt, criticism, you're going to spill that in their life as well. And so I just want you to keep in mind, what are you speaking into somebody's life? I think a lot about encounters that we have with people. If I have an encounter with somebody on the street, if it's a perfect stranger, like I want them to walk away from that experience going, something's different about that guy. You know what I mean? Like think about the last encounter you had with a stranger. What did they think about when they left that experience with you? Did they walk away going, man, what a jerk? Like, wow, that that was weird. Or did they walk away going, what a great experience. That person's absolutely amazing. I did a celebration of life for my son's grandmother, uh, my son's best friend's grandmother just a few days ago. And the cool experience for me was listening to these grandkids talk about how amazing their grandmother was. And one of the things they said about her I loved because I love to encourage people and I love to tell people I love them. Like I will tell strangers I love, I'm a hugger and I will hug perfect strangers. Like I will hug somebody and I- I'm like this, I'm like, I don't even know if you're a hugger, but bring it in, let's just like, let's just do that. And, and I'm that guy, And I know it's kind of creepy and my family tells me I'm creepy, but I just want people to have a great encounter, right? I- I was- on the phone with this lady one day doing business and I didn't know her, she didn't know me. And as we got off the phone, I was like, hey, I really appreciate your help, I love you. And I froze, because like, that was weird. I shouldn't have, that was not the moment for it. And she goes, I love you too. I was like, all right, this is awkward, let's just go. (laughs) Like, just hang up. It was weird. But I wanna be a person that my default position is to love. And so they're talking about their grandmother and basically what they said was, most people say I love you when you leave an encounter right? You're leaving church today. Hey, it was good to see you. Okay, maybe y'all don't say I love you. Do y'all say I love you in South Carolina? All right, let's do it again. You, hey, it's good to see you. I love you, right? So we say those words. But what they said about their grandmother was she doesn't wait to the end of the encounter. She begins with that. So when she meets somebody, when she talks to them, when she sees somebody that she cares about, the very first thing out of her mouth is, hey, honey, I love you so much. And I thought, what a great way to begin a conversation. From the very beginning of this conversation, here's what you're gonna know. From the very beginning, you're gonna know I care about you. You're gonna know I love you. You're gonna know that you matter to God and you matter to me. A few days ago, my son just graduated from high school and their senior trip, y'all, was Hawaii. Isn't that crazy? My senior trip was West Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia is amazing. It's not Hawaii. you know. And so, uh, so I go to Hawaii with them as a chaperone. Uh, the guy called me. He's like, hey, I want you to pray about something. Um, it was a Christian school. He's like, do you, um, do you want you to pray about going to Hawaii? I'm like, I'm not praying about that. Because if I pray, God may say no, and I ain't hearing that. You know what I mean? So put my name down. So I go to Hawaii, and it's a pretty big city in Honolulu, and they've got A lot of homeless people and a lot lot of things happening. And so we had given the students a radius. And my job was to stay at this like one little intersection just to make sure the students were okay. You know, I'm just kind of being the security guy. And it wasn't dawning on me what this must have looked like at 1130 at night for a 46-year-old man to be standing alone on a street corner just kind of pacing. (laughs) Man, I did not even see that. You know what I mean? And, but they did. They saw it. They saw it. And so this guy walks up to me, and he's like, hey, dude, you looking weed? You, you want some weed? Well, I've never been propositioned for drugs in my life. And I didn't know what to say. And so I literally looked at the guy and I went, I don't, but I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Like I just, the only thing I didn't say was I love you. And, and so even that guy who tried to sell me drugs, walked away going, what a nice guy. I think I should keep doing this. Like this just, I meet great people when I do this. It was so weird, right? But I want people to know that I love them. The matter, the, the whole thing today is I don't wanna count my days, I want my days to count. I want the world to be different because I'm here. My brother-in-law is a big time southern gospel music legend, that's a true story, he's a songwriter, and he wrote this number one song in on the bluegrass charts, and the hook line of the chorus says this, all I can say is, I can't add more days to my life, so I'll add more life to my days. That's good, I can't add more days to my life, but I will add more life to my days. I want to be a difference maker. I want the world to be different because I'm here. Jesus said in John 14 and 12, he said it this way. He's like, even greater things will you do when you walk this earth. And I'm going to be honest, that verse blows my mind. Even greater things will I do than Jesus? Mm, I don't really think so. Like, I don't walk on water. I have never risen anybody from the dead. You know, like that's, I, I don't see how that's even possible. But he's talking to his disciples. And I think here's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, is I'm with you, okay? I'm here, I'm walking this earth with these disciples. But as he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God today, interceding on your behalf through the power of the Holy Spirit, check this out, he's now on the inside of you. When you said yes to Jesus, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, which means you have everything you need inside of you to be a difference maker in the world today. I want to be a difference maker. We use words like, Lord, send a revival. Lord, we want to experience a move of God. Like that's some of the prayers that we pray as a church. Like I want to see God move. I want to see a move of God in my generation. I want to see a move of God in my city. I want to see revival. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've stopped praying for those things. Because I don't want to pray that God sends revival. I want to live in revival. I want to live in this revival, right? To be revived, to be alive, to speak life into people, to speak God's word into people. I don't want just to see a move of God. Hear me. I want to be a move of God. I want God to use me to touch people. I want God to use you to touch people. Let's make a declaration today. We want to be difference makers. But here's the question. If we are difference makers, what does that require of us? If we are going to make a difference, if we're not going to count our days, but we're going to make our days count, what does that require of us? So that's a great question. Let's answer it. Here's the first thing. Making a difference, being a difference maker requires that we have a burden for people, that we have a burden. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 36, and and this was the verse that really spoke to me when we stepped out to plant North Park Church in Raleigh 15 years ago because I want to live this out I, I want our church to live this out this is what it says when Jesus saw the crowds so Jesus steps back and he looks at his city he looks at his town he looks at the crowd of people what does he see the Bible says that he had compassion on them the Bible says that he wept over them why because he loved them he came to give his life for them and, and there's a song, I don't even know what the name of the song is, but it just kind of has been on loop in my mind this morning, this one lyric of the song. And it just says this, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, I want my heart to break for what breaks the heart of the Father. When Jesus looks at the city and sees people and has compassion on them, then I want to have compassion for people. I mean, they, they gathered around Jesus and they asked him a very important question. They said out of all these laws, all these rules, all these commandments... Like what's most important? There's a lot of stuff here, so what's most important? I would even say as you have your Bible in front of you right now, like there's so much there to absorb and to learn and understand and then try to teach other people and then try to live that out. Like that's a lot. It's a very daunting thing when you think about it. And so Jesus said, okay, out of all this stuff, here's what's most important. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. In other words, love God above all else. But then he didn't stop. He said the second is like it. That's the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. It goes along with it. You can't tear them apart. One goes with the other. If you're going to love God that way, heart, mind, soul, and strength, then the second goes with it, and here it is. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. you got to love people. He, he literally He literally summarized the entire gospel in four words. Love God, love people. And I believe if we can do that, everything else really begins to fall into place. But the problem for us is we don't look at other people and have compassion. We don't look at other people and have a burden. We often look at other people very judgmental. And and we say things like this. Well, those people are what's wrong with the world today. If it weren't for those people, we wouldn't be in the shape that we were in. If it weren't for those people, um, we wouldn't have all these issues that we have in our society today. And what we're saying is, is anybody that doesn't see the world the way we do, we put them in the category of those people. And the moment we begin to identify them as those people, it's a bit of an issue. Love God, love people, all people, right? And so we have to make sure that we are leading with love and that we recognize that that people matter to God and they matter to us or they should matter to us. And so when we look at people in our world, we should have a burden for people and we should have compassion on them. And here's the second thing. Making a difference requires prayer. I'm talking about like real prayer. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul. When's the last time you fell on your face and you cried out to God? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. I learned it in the King James. That's the only version I know it. It sounds really good when I say it that way. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And if I shake my head and growl, it sounds really good, doesn't it? The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. That's how they preached when I was growing up. I always tried to do that. I could never do it. It matters a lot. Here's what James 5 and 16 says. The message paraphrase. I love this verse. It says the prayer of a person living right with God, I love this, is a powerful force to be reckoned with. A person living right with God, that person's prayer is something powerful to be reckoned with. I love the book that Mark Batterson wrote, The Circle Maker. And there's a line in this book that that we as a church made a core value. It's just a powerful statement. We say it every single time we come together. And here it is. Bold prayer honors God and God honors bold prayer. The bold prayers that you lift up in your life, those prayers honor God. And God honors those bold prayers. So let's be people of prayer. When you walk into my home, there's this verse of scripture that's just become a cornerstone for our family. And I guarantee you, the majority of people in our church, if if they were forced to, could probably quote at least most of this verse because we say it all the time. There's very few sermons I preach that this verse doesn't come out because I think it's so important for us to live out. And this is what it says Philippians 4 6 and 7. It says, Don't worry about anything. So let's just pause. What are you worried about today? Like what's dominating the landscape of your mind? Don't worry about anything. Instead, Scripture gives us something else we can do with that time, effort, and energy. Instead of worrying about everything, here's what we're going to do instead. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's already done. And then I love this part. And then He will guard your heart and your mind as you walk in Christ Jesus. Difference makers pray, and prayer makes a difference. Here's the third thing. Making a difference requires persistence. Now, we're going to dig in right here. I've kind of gone quickly through these first two. We're going to dig in right here. So my daughter, um, I have two kids. I have a son who's just graduated from high school, as I told you. Um, he's going to UNC, which is crazy. Um, they need Jesus so bad. And so I'm sending my son to land like a lamb to the slaughter. And so um, we, we literally supported a campus missionary years ago at UNC because like, if anybody needs Jesus, it's them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at me. I'm going those people. I'm doing exactly what I just told you I don't do, right? We're sending our son. Very excited. I'm pulling for Carolina. I've got a Carolina dad shirt because you can't write check and pull for somebody else. That's my philosophy about that. And 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 so I have another da- a daughter that is going to, to Lee University. She's a senior. And her freshman year, I'll never forget like standing or sitting rather as as Dr. Paul Kahn, the university president, um, addressed the parents of that of that freshman class. And what he said literally changed my life. And and I believe if you'll grab hold of this concept, it'll it'll change your perspective too. But this is what he said. He said, your babies will call homesick. Because no matter how great this college experience is, there's no way in the world we can recreate home. You're not there. They are going to call home. They will be homesick. And then he said, and they will be exactly where they're supposed to be and having the time of their life. So they will be homesick and they will be having the time of their life and exactly where they're supposed to be. And here's what he said, because two realities exist at the same time. They can be homesick and be having the time of their life. And I started thinking about that. That applies to so many different areas of life. Two realities exist. And I love that word and because it acknowledges that these two realities exist. But what we typically do is we don't use the word and, we use the word but. And anything that we say after the word but kind of negates what we said in the first place. Let me give you an example. I love you, but. You want to hear a spouse say that? You want to hear a parent say that? I love you so much, but. And all of a sudden, when you hear that, defenses come up, right? Because buts are paralyzing. I said that in front of a group of middle school students a couple of weeks ago. I lost them for like seven minutes. <laughs> so thank you for being a little more mature in the seventh grader, right? But those buts can be paralyzing. But I like the word and better, right? Because now we can acknowledge that two realities exist and we can do something about it. So if your boss or your supervisor says you're doing a fantastic job, but you feel like you're about to get fired. But if that same person looks at you and says you're doing a fantastic job and there's a couple of things that we need to work on, you'd be even better. Like, you know, I love you. We have a great marriage and there's some things that we really need to work on. We're not on the same page about everything. And if we would get on the same page, it would be even that much better. See how disarming that is? We acknowledge that there's something that can be better and that we love you and that we're with you on this journey. Two realities exist at the same time. Now, how does that relate spiritually? So I grew up believing and taught that faith is the absence of fear. That if you have fear, like if you're dealing with fear, you must not have a lot of faith. Why? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. And so if God has given us power, love, and a sound mind, the fear that you have is not from him. Therefore, if you have faith, you cannot fear. If you have fear, you must not have much faith. But here's what I begin to learn. Just because God has not given us the spirit of fear, he's given us power, love, and a sound mind, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have to face it. Just because I have an incredible amount of faith and believe that God can do anything doesn't mean that I'm not going to face the fight of my life and challenges that are scary and terrifying, if I'm honest. So here's what I know. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is the ability to trust God in the middle of it. Faith is the ability to trust God in the face of your fear. Because the reality is some of you are in the fight of your life. Some of you are struggling. You're dealing with challenges in your relationships. I'm going to tell you, in the last two years since COVID started, I have done more marriage counseling than I have in all the years of ministry combined. Something about this season of life has taken a just like a magnifying glass. And anything great in a relationship was just that much greater. But anything that was wrong in a relationship got that much worse. And I've seen family after family after family just begin to spiral. And I am so tired of watching the enemy just battle our families. I'm so tired of that fight. Some of you were in the fight of your life. Some of you have faced more challenges in this season of your life than you've ever experienced before. And you're terrified. And you love God and you trust him and you want him to be the biggest part of your life. But you're struggling with both of those realities. Why? Because two realities exist at the same time. In 2012... My amazing wife, Marianne, was diagnosed with breast cancer. October of 2012. And in the next 12 months of her life, she had a double mastectomy, reconstruction, 32 radiation treatments, 16 chemo treatments, um, a total hysterectomy, and a root canal in 12 months. She says the root canal was the worst part of all of it. She hated to go to the dentist. But we were in the fight of our life. October of 2013 rolled around after all of those treatments and all of those surgeries and all of those experiences, and that same doctor who said she had cancer looked at her and said, it's gone. We got it all. I think we're good. You don't even have to come back. No follow-ups. You're good. And so for the next five years, we just lived life. Like, we just walked through it. Our kids, man, we parented our kids. We pastored a church. We tried to love on a community. My wife started a career, and we were just having... Just the greatest time ever, like just loving life, loving life, having such a great time in our family. And then she started having headaches. Started going to doctors, and they treated her for vertigo, and that wasn't doing it, and nothing would would give her relief. And finally, I was like, we can't do this anymore. Let's just go to the emergency room. We need to figure this out. And we get there, and they do, um, I guess, an MRI or something like that. never forget the moment that this guy walks in and says, I want to tell you this. She have a brain tumor. So they rush her to uh, a different hospital where they can do this emergency brain surgery. And that's even weird to say. And uh, what we found out was my wife's breast cancer had come back in the form of a brain tumor. And it was super angry. And it brought friends. Like there was a mass in her chest. There was cancer all over her body. And so for the next two years, we fought with everything we had within us. And we trusted God for healing. And we stood on scripture, and there were literally people around the world praying for my wife. And I believed with all of my heart that God was going to display His healing power in a such a way that it would bring revival in the world. Like I just like believe there were so many people praying, and there were so many people who were watching. There were so many people that were on her team that were loving on her and praying for her and believing God for healing. And I'm like, Lord, if there's ever an opportunity for you to shine, it's now. Like so many lost people, like this this would be a great testimony of healing power. And I believed that he would do it. And in December of this past year, December 7th, 2020, uh, my wife went home to be with Jesus. And we have all been decimated. Seven months. It's still so strange to even stand here and tell you that my wife went home to be with Jesus. And I'm like, God, What are you doing? I felt like the God that I have served and walked with the majority of my life has turned his back on me. I know what it's like to walk through something hard. Before that encounter, like when she was starting to really get into this fight and it started to not look so good, Pastor Brandon and I have a mutual spiritual father. His name is Jim Wall. And Pastor Jim is an incredible spiritual father to so many people. And and so I went to Pastor Jim and I said, man, I don't get this. Like, help me. Like, help me. Help me figure this out. What do you do when you have a crisis of faith? What do you do? I'm a pastor. How do you be a pastor and have a crisis of faith? And this is what he said. This was way before she passed away. He he said, here's here's what you got to do. You got to believe that he can... You pray that he will. And then, Anthony, you're going to have to choose to trust him whether he chooses to or not. That's how you handle a crisis of faith. So when you're in a crisis, when you're in the fight of your life, like some of you are in right now, you believe that he can, you pray that he will, but then you have to choose to trust him whether he chooses to or not. And it's easy to say that. But the moment that she breathed her last breath and went home to be with Jesus. I had to start living that out. And this principle, two realities exist at the same time, became so real to me. Because in the last seven months, there's not a day that's gone by that I've not said these words. They just like are on loop in my mind. I can be talking to you about sports, but in the back of my mind, I just hear it looping in the back of my head. And here's what I hear over and over. God, you gave me the greatest gift that you could have ever given me. And then you ripped her out of my life. You have decimated me. And I love you. I trust you and I surrender to you. You gave me the greatest gift that you could ever give me. And You ripped her out of my life. I'm decimated. And I love you. I trust you. And I surrender to you. Over and over and over, I just keep saying those words. Why? Because I'm not going to ignore the fact that I'm struggling with the reality that my wife went home to be with Jesus. And at the same time, I love him, I surrender to him, and I trust him because he is a God who can always be trusted. In those 40 hours where we were at the hospital with her, she was transitioning from this life to the next. There's me and my son and my daughter, and, and my kids were so strong. I'm so blown away by their strength. And my son, 17 years old, in his senior year, the one thing his mom wanted was to, to see his senior year right through, and, and, and she wasn't able to do that. And So here's my son, 17 years old, watching his mother in this moment of his life. His world is falling apart, and I look at my son who's just weeping. And he starts calling my name, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I look over at my son. I'll never forget the look on his face. And he looks at me and he says, this is what peace feels like. This is what peace feels like. Don't worry about anything. You pray about everything. You tell God what you need. You thank him for what he's done. What did that verse say? It's in our home. We say it all the time. And the peace of God will guard your mind and your heart as you walk in Christ Jesus. And so yeah, you may be in the fight of your life and you can love him, you can surrender to him and you can trust him because he's a God who can always be trusted. And here's the fourth thing, making a difference requires action. It requires that we do something. It requires that we do something. See, God has done so much in your life. God has given you so much. He has poured so much in your life. The moment that you said yes to Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit now indwells on the inside of you. And you have his spirit on the inside of you. The question is, what are you going to do with that now? You've got this peace. You've got this joy. You've got this love. Are you just going to keep that for yourself? Or are you going to share it with the world? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. What he's, what he's saying is, is when you say yes to Jesus, you become a difference maker. A few years ago, when my kids were smaller, we used to play this game during the summer. And uh, I would get in the deep pool, and, and, and I would just start going, help, help, help. And all of a sudden, like my kids would move into action. And my daughter was the best at it. She would just do this perfect, beautiful dive. She's tall. She's got these long strokes, and she just swims over to me. She knows exactly where to put her arms. She lifts dead up out of the water. She swims me over to the side. She props me up on the side of the pool. She looks at me and says, are you okay? Are you breathing? How can I help? You know, she, like, gets it right. I mean, she's great at it. And I'm like, if I'm ever in trouble, you're going to save me. This is going to be awesome. And then there's my son. I jump back in the water, help, help, help! And he just jumps cannonball. You know what I mean? He's like splashes me, and and then he doggy paddles over to where I am, and 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 then he tries to get his arms around me. But this is when he was much younger; I was like eight times his size, and and so instead of like getting his arms in the right place, he kind of crawls up on my back and uses me as a life raft. And now he's paddling to the side, and now I, my head is underwater, and now I really am drowning. You know what I mean? Now I am in trouble, and I finally get to the side, and I'm like. Dude, if anybody is ever drowning and they start yelling help, please ignore them because you're going to finish the job off, right? And I walked away from that experience and I'm like, man, that's, that's so powerful as followers of Jesus because we are surrounded by people every day who are in trouble. I got a text from somebody yesterday that just said, I'm drowning and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm drowning. I don't know what to do. I need help. And here's, here's, here's what I see in, in my mind. We as Christians, like we often want to kind of get on the side here and kind of reach down and help people who are drowning. That's kind of what we want to do. And we want to do so without getting wet. I'm not sure I can save someone who's drowning without getting wet. What am I going to do? Just throw a life raft and tell them I'm going to be praying for them and just kind of walk away? You would actually look at me and say, How insensitive. You sure don't have much compassion or a burden for people. This guy's drowning. You throw him a life raft and you walk away and hope he's okay. Yet that's exactly what we do to people every single day. We just make it sound super spiritual. We look at people and we go, hey, I know you're in the fight of your life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And that's powerful. It is. I mean, I already shared James five sixteen with you. What did it say? The Prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. But I'm sorry, if I'm drowning, I don't want you to just pray for me. How about extend a hand? How about get down in the water and help me out of this thing? And sometimes we gotta get dirty, we gotta get wet to be able to do that. I'm gonna close with this verse of scripture. I love it. It's one of my favorite passages. Romans 15, one through six. I'm gonna read message paraphrase. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to lend Step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is convenient for us. I love this next verse. Strength is for service. It's not for status. Each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? It's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's trouble. But look at the words. He waited right in. And then he helped people out. Jesus said, I'm a difference maker. And so as you look at the people in your life who are struggling, I won't just stand on the side, but let's wade in and let's help people out. All of these amazing things that God has gifted you with, why don't you share it with the world? Because here's what we do. Everything that he's put in our life, we just cap it. And we just kind of hold it to ourselves like it's our best kept secret. we'll come to church and open it up because it's easy here. We'll worship and we'll serve and we'll do the thing. But what about when we're out there? Are we willing to literally rip the cap off and share the love of Jesus with people who desperately need it? I looked up the definition of a leader and the definition of a leader is a piece of pipe with water flowing through it. And I thought, well, that's the weirdest definition ever, right? Pipe, but if there's water in it, it now becomes a leader. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And and I thought, no, that's exactly right. Because we have rivers of living water flowing through us that cannot be contained. That's what what the word of God says. And so we get to make the decision. Are we going to cap this thing? Are we going to share it with the world? And so what I challenge you to do is get on your face and just begin to pray, God, pour everything you have into my life so it's full and running over. And now let's share it with the world. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. God, I thank you for every good gift that you have poured into our life. God, I thank you for the way that we have this supernatural joy. Lord, I recognize that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, that means we can go through the fight of our life and still have joy. And I pray that we rip the lid off of this thing and we share that joy with the world, that we spill that in people's lives. And I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to do that. I pray for those this morning who are hurting. God, that they feel like they're drowning in their circumstance. Lord, if that's them, I pray that right where they are, that they would experience your healing. Lord, they'll never know you as a healer until they need healing. Lord, they'll never know you as a savior until they need saving. They'll never know you as a provider until they need provision. And so, Lord, at their deepest point of need, Lord, would you breathe into their life right now in a way they've not experienced in a long time? God, I pray right here in this moment, God, that they would just take a big, deep breath and feel your spirit. Feel your love. Fill them with joy. And give them courage to share it with others. Jesus name with your heads bowed your eyes closed if you're here and you say pastor I I don't know Jesus the way you're talking about today like I don't have that kind of relationship but goodness gracious I do I want that kind of peace that your son talked about and that peace comes from this relationship with Jesus it's not just knowing about him it's knowing him it's about having a personal relationship with him And you don't know me, so let me just lay it down. I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you in any way. This is the safest place in the world. And every person here just so desperately wants you to have this relationship. They are praying for you and they are cheering you on. You are loved. And so if you want that relationship, here's what I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for just a second. And then I'm just going to lead the entire church, the entire congregation, in in this prayer that we can pray together, inviting Jesus into our lives. So that's it. And so right now, if you'd say, Pastor, that's me, I I want that relationship. Would you just slip up your hand? Just hold it there for a second. Thank you so much for your hands. Just hold it just for a second. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being honest. Courage and boldness. All right, you can put your hands down. And now let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I give you me. I come before you. A sinner in need of grace. I ask you to wash me, cleanse me, and set me free, and give me strength to live for you. Help me to rip the lid off and share this joy with the world. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody says, amen. Now, I challenge you to leave this place, be a difference maker, and share the love of Jesus wherever you are.